Welcome to Move Like This, brought to you by the Accounting Move Project and sponsored by Moss Adams and Sapro. On this podcast, we share ideas and hear from guests about how they find, retain, develop, and advance women and other underrepresented groups in their accounting firms. Now, on to our guest. Thank you for joining us today for Move Like This. And this one is a special episode where uh, Joanne Cleaver, the founder of the Accounting Move Project, and I are going to be asking and answering questions for um, anybody that is here, and then also answering questions that we hear quite frequently. So um, I look forward to this and appreciate you being here today, Joanne. Well, very, I'm very happy to be here on on a rainy Wednesday in Charlotte. I can think of nothing better than talk about the MOVE project because its methodology is something that is airtight and has survived over two decades in various forms. And um, it has set the standard for several industries. I'm very happy that's continuing in the accounting profession. Joanne, I want to ask you, what made you create the Accounting MOVE project in the first place back in 2010? 2010. So um, it actually... My expertise in this category started in 1997, which makes me feel super old. Um, I assure you I'm way less mature than my driver's license indicates. Um, I was asked by the editors of then uh, a magazine that existed then called Working Woman to design a methodology that would rank the Fortune 500 according to the status of women in the executive suite. And we had to get it right, right from the start, because this is going to be a big magazine section. Um, This is, of course, just when the internet was, you know, very young. There wasn't a lot online um, and people still read print magazines. So um, I figured it out um, and ran that project for that magazine for six years until the magazine collapsed, um, as many magazines do. And then in the process of doing that, realized that the status of the advancement of women really was could happen best in industry by industry, because what we were doing at Working Women is we were looking at the Fortune 500. So the thing they had in common was being big. That's it, right? So we would say, oh, you know, tech firms have XYZ percentage of women in their senior ranks, but pharma firms are different and retail firms are different. And of course, you know, we did equalize. I mean, the brilliance of the methodology is that it did equalize across those industries, but it was a constant juggling process to explain why progress in tech looked really different from progress in retail. And I came to realize that the maturity of the industry and um, that intersected very directly with the career arc and the opportunities and the culture of the industry also would open or close opportunities for work-life balance and remote work and autonomy, the types of um, career paths that women often wanted. So with that in mind, when the magazine collapsed, um, I took the methodology to um, several trade associations starting in 2003 and ran essentially move projects white labeled for them. So I had seven years of experience doing that in the 2000s and then approached the AFWA in 2009 and said, hey, look, I've been tracking you guys. There aren't very many women in this industry. I've been doing this for a while now. You guys need me. You're too small of an association to have an in-house research arm, but we I know as a journalist, because that's um, my historic, my background and most of my work, that's how I identify as a journalist. Um, so I should probably put that on a t-shirt. Don't ask me any questions. I'll ask all the questions of a journalist. And I knew, but I knew that the AFWA would be approached by journalists for data because that's where you go. And they, they didn't have anything. So it literally only took us six weeks to align um, the corporate sponsors and the AFWA and put together the coalition. And all of a sudden we were off and running. 
Wow. Six weeks sounds crazy because I've been working on kicking off this year and, and it's been more than that. So that's great. Well, that was, that was to get the Moss Adams was of course the founding sponsor. Um, and then, you know, but that, that was just to get everybody in the same room and agreed and, you know, sign all the agreements and everything like that. Um, and then the 2010 was our first report. So real quick, it is called the Accounting MOVE Project for a reason. Let's talk a little bit about what MOVE stands for and why each element is important. MOVE stands for Money, Opportunity, Vital Supports, and Entrepreneurship, which really in this industry translates to business development. So MOVE is, uh, money is primarily pay equity programs, analysis, measurement. We're not a salary survey per se, but we do want to know how employers are holding managers accountable for pay equity and how when pay gaps are discovered, how they're addressing them. So we talk about that every um, every year. Opportunity is really leadership, management, technical training, development, especially positions that involve profit and loss responsibility. So, you know, having the level, having responsibility for that sort of thing, of course, is part of being promoted into leadership positions. We have vital supports, which are flexible work practices that drive business results. We look at not just the existence of programs such as remote work, wellness, dependent care benefits, but also how they're directly supporting productivity and business results. We do often say that while programs are a great thing, we're not here to measure programs. We're here to measure results. That's definitely one of the things we look at. And then the entrepreneurship side of things is of hands-on business development and supplier diversity, you know, and how that demonstrates a company's investment in business building skills of its women's employees and women-owned businesses. So making sure that women have the same opportunity to dive deep into business development so that they can be promoted to partner and principal level. Those are the moving parts and they intersect all the time, yeah, which do. is part of the genius of the report. So a lot of times a report will just focus on say work life and it'll, you know, carry on about, um, you know, oh, women need more autonomy, this, that, and the next thing. But one of the things we have looked at in the past, we're going to look at more in the move project report is well, what is the intersection of remote work with what, which women really want with career opportunities, because the firms don't have ways of identifying, you know, look, are we doing a breakout of how we pay our remote employees? Are we inadvertently giving people who live in lower cost areas, you know, are they falling behind in pay, even though they're doing the same work? You know, well, what are we going to do about that? Um, how do we make sure that people aren't off uh, the radar screen for developmental assignments if they literally aren't in the office? So all of this stuff becomes more important as we move into a hybrid and remote environment, because women really want that kind of work. And it intersects with all the other all the other factors. So for every factor, we're always looking how to cross-reference it. And that's where you guys live, right? You guys don't live in a silo where someone says, I just, I only want to talk about my pay because they talk about it, I guess, I would think, in the context of responsibility, tenure, and their ambitions. And so we want to make sure that when we're addressing any single factor, that we always are doing it in the context of the remaining factors. Quick question here, because I'm I'm kind of new to this. How many years has the Accounting Move report been published? Since 2010. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Every year. Every year. Yeah. <laughs> and, and actually, you can go to accountingmoveproject.com and 
there's a archives page there that has the reports from every year, including um, as well as press releases about, you know, the best CPA firms for women and best CPA firms for equity leadership and a lot of press coverage and that sort of thing. So we, yeah, we there, there, make sure there are good practices in going back at those reports. Like I think the, the third year, we did a deep dive into the expectations of associates, women associates. And I still hear some of those themes coming up and that's been 10 years. So, you know, it, it's a good cure for insomnia that, uh, you know, but if you do have a question rattling around in your brain and you think, you know, gee whiz, you know, has this question, this issue ever been resolved? That's a good resource just for getting a quick historic perspective on how long the profession might have been trying to tackle that particular issue. Because there are solutions that might have been irrelevant for your firm in the past that suddenly might work. And I think pay equity is a good example of that because- Oh, that- yeah. Suddenly a hot topic. And I mean, frankly, it should have been for much longer, but because there are states and uh, municipalities passing laws, you know, everybody's kind of starting to take a look, closer look at pay equity. But, uh, you know, there've been, Move has been talking about that since 2010. Right from the beginning, you know, it was, yeah, included hardwired in right from the start. And that was not popular in 2010. Yeah. We had to tread very carefully, (laughs) but at any rate. So a couple of things I just want to point out about, you know, there's a lot of best places to work things out there and list. One of the ways that um, Move is different than the others is, you know, while we do have a a large and comprehensive survey that uh, all participants fill out, we also conduct interviews with each participating firm. I'm not aware of any others that do. Uh, I don't think they do. I've been in this circuit for a long time. Nobody does. It's all self-reported data. Right. Part of the reason for that is we really want to get beyond self-reported data to underlying dynamics. So, you know, that's where real barriers, real solutions are found and, you know, where real change happens. You know, while the survey information is important and demographic data, of course, is we really kind of want to dig into what firms are doing and what results you're seeing from that. And and also that allows us to create best practices that we can share across the profession and in our annual report that we release publicly too. It's uh, also a really good chance in the interviews. And Alyssa, you know this, you know, we've spoken on and off over the years, you know, it's a good chance just to say, hey, what are you hearing from other firms? So the entire move process can be valuable at every step, because even in the interview, you know, they get pretty free flowing. And we'll say, you know, hey, we just heard about this one thing, you know, that's how the sabbatical thing came about last year. We're just like, okay, so one of our new sponsors, SAPRO, has this really big sabbatical program. And a couple other firms were just like, oh, yeah, you know, we, we you know, we checked that off in the survey, but we didn't know how important that was. And we were just like, oh my gosh, like we're back channeling as a, as a team and we're like, holy Toledo, the sabbatical thing's really taking off. That turned out to be a very newsy hook. There's a lot of opportunity just to kind of test the waters with things you may be hearing. And we have a different perspective because of the structured nature of the interviews and the sharing among the team. We can often give you a quick early read as to how, you know, what's happening at your firm it might be in sync or, or maybe not with what other firms are dealing with. And, and that's frankly how we decided to really dive deep into the idea of customized partnerships for this year, because that's a question that is coming up. There are a number of firms that have customized fractional part-time partnerships, and 
there are a lot of other firms that are like, how are you doing this? We really want to know. So that's kind of one of the reasons why that's one of our features in 2023 is I'm personally fascinated by the idea and want to dig deep into it. And, you know, based on the number of questions that I have personally received about that, um, it seems like it's something that the profession is interested in learning more about. Other way that um, MOVE is a bit different than some of the other programs is there, there are some that are free to participate in. There are others that charge fees. We do charge an administrative fee that is based on the size of the firm. That is basically to cover our costs. You know, we it takes a good deal of time to do all the interviews and analyze all the data and everything. So there is a fee and you can see that on the methodology and fees page of the site. Frankly, those that are free, so many times, you know, it's like, yeah, play, apply, participate. And then they spend a whole lot of time pressuring you for advertising or you must pay for the details or you have to kind of start ponying up money to get the information that you really wanted at the beginning that you thought was going to be free. We are transparent about that. You know, we don't want there to be any sort of surprises or anything like that. How many firms participate in this? Um, like average number year by year? Like- yeah, it's different year to year. Uh-huh. Um, we had around 40 participate last year. Okay. We are, we've already had 10 sign up for this year. So we're really excited about that. Joanne, what would be uh, average? I know last, I know 2021, we did a very scaled back version. Because yeah, of COVID because, of the, because of the pandemic. <laughs> yeah, COVID, yeah. Yeah. And also our publishing partner went out of business in 2020. <laughs> so we had to kind of, you know, retool. Yeah, I'd say roughly 40. Um, it gets a little complicated because firms keep eating each other up. You know, it's like you guys at Armanino ate up Brownsmith Wallace. Brownsmith Wallace was a, a leader in the MOVE project. We learned a lot from them. We often showcase their their um, case studies and, you know, their best practices. So, I mean, I guess I'm happy for them because I think that, you know, Armanino has a lot of energy and momentum for gender equity. But I also have been really encouraged to see that a lot of what Brown Smith Wallace does right appears to be to have been adopted by Armanino. So I'm super curious to see how that's evolving. So you see the dilemma, though, there's so many mergers, but then there are also spinoffs. So it's interesting that we have a lot of the same contacts even though they go from firm to firm. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it gets kind of fragmented. We've had firms unbundle and reform in the middle of the project. So it's hard to get an exact count for any given year. Maybe more importantly is that the employee count, once it's settled out after four years at 27,000, roughly, that's where it's pretty much stayed, regardless of the number of actual firms. You know, we've, we've retained a lot of the same individuals, no matter what the masthead is or what their business card says. And, and just to add to that, we do not list uh, release a list of all participating firms in part because, you know, we do release the best CPA firms for women and best CPA firms for equity leadership list. Those firms are, you know, names are obviously released, but others that participate, we don't release those because one, you know, if you know they participated and didn't make the list, uh, we definitely don't want them to be looked at in any sort of negative light because there are wonderful things going on at those firms. And yeah. just, you know, they, maybe they aren't quite as far along as some others are. Yeah, well, that's exactly it. You know, um, there's there's several different models for this sort of research. Um, the, but what everybody wants is compiled results and benchmarking, right? And so how do we get there? So some of the models are, we're just going to put out a report and here's a bunch of, a bunch of best practices and we don't call out or recognize 
name any firm is the best, you know, but and then we could then you can name all the firms that participated. But the AFWA really wanted to have a list of best firms because they felt that, well, they thought it, was, it would be a powerful tool. And it is actually uh, motivating for firms that are very close. You know, they see that they're doing a lot right and they're very close to making the best list. Then that is that has prompted some firms to give um, a final push internally to say, you know, look, you know, we're we're nearly there. The flip side of that is we don't want to discourage firms. Basically, even firms that are like at 11% female partners, oftentimes are doing something right that they don't know they're doing right. And that's, again, the beauty of these interviews and of um, the format of the snapshot, the benchmarking snapshot that firms get. They're headed up by two bullet points, sets of bullet points. One is celebrate. Here's at least three things you're doing right. It's like, who doesn't want that, right? Like, tell me if there's something we can build on. And then there's concentrate, which is like, here are three things that you could do better. And here's how to get there. Here's how to get there. So we really want to be solutions oriented, not shame oriented. And honestly, in today's political and cultural moment where there's a lot of controversy about workplace equity, I think the, the brilliance of celebrate concentrate really rises to the top. We are not about shaming. You know, we're about challenging and supporting and equipping, simply having, you know, a list of firms that participated and then compared to firms that, you know, were named as a best list would be so counterproductive. I, I would never do that to an organization. Well, the difference between um, just counting programs and actually measuring results, that's a big one. And Alyssa, you know about this because we talk about this all the time. You guys have really strong programs, but do we not always say and show us how that's linked to the retention and advancement of women? A lot of uh, efforts to recognize excellence for women will simply add up programs and they'll say this mentoring program or executive sponsorship program and just sort of put the program out there when it's introduced. But then that's where the story ends. And that's not good for a couple of reasons. One is we don't want to perpetuate the cycle of starts and failures, starts and failures where it just makes everybody frustrated. You know, the higher up leaders feel that they're wasting money. Um, women who participate feel like, well, was that a waste of time? People who are trying to instigate and lead real innovation within their firms get really frustrated if they get friction points and then thing falls apart. And then, you know, three years later, some bright young thing comes along and says, why don't we do mentoring or sponsorship or equity? You know, this or the next thing. And somebody says, we tried it. So I'll try it. And the cycle starts anew. We're really looking for those uh, stories that we can tell over a couple of issues, three or four even of the report, where we say, hey, here's something that this firm started, and here's some early results, and here's two or three takeaways for your firm. And then the next year, either through the confidential snapshots or through the public report, depending on the interest and relevance of that topic or that program for the population, for the for the community, will build on that and say, and here's, you know, look now they have XYZ more participants and most of them turn out to be millennials in mid-career. So here's what how, how this program has evolved and they can correlate this with a higher retention rate of women in their um, partnership pipeline, for example. And then maybe the next year we'd say, okay, so now they've got, you know, this year they finally have a bump in their percentage of new women partners because of something they started three years ago. So we've done that sort of storytelling for, uh, for I know for Bonadio, for Lurie, um, the late great Rothstein cast, Moss Adams, a number of firms. And, you know, Bonnie, that makes me think maybe one thing to do in your copious spare time, or maybe one of the um, 
contractors on the move team could do it is go back and find a couple of those things and pull together standalone case studies that bridge several years. Yeah. I think that those, would be, yeah, those might make good handouts. And, and I think people really appreciate the uh, continuity of a story because if you're going to make the business case that advancing women is good for the business, you have to show a result. And our goal is to equip every single participating firm in the move project with results that can perpetuate advocacy and more resources to reinvest in those winning programs to get even more results for women. Absolutely. So just so you know, the timeline, the registration is now open. We plan to release the survey to all firms that have registered around April 20th, right after busy season. So everybody takes a very brief breath and then goes into that. You're going to call them back from the golf course. You're a mean person or Disney world. <laughs> they can, they can look at it in May <laughs> It'll be waiting for them. And then it will be doing interviews maybe late May, but certainly in June and July mm-hmm. and releasing individual firm snapshots and scorecards around the same time, maybe a little bit earlier, but we'll see as the best firms list come out in late October Correlated with the um, AFWA annual Women Who Count Conference. Um, And also the report from 2023 will be released around that same time. Uh, So what questions can we ask? Answer. Sorry, we can ask ourselves questions all day long, but answers we also have. And is the collaboration with this primarily through marketing, HR, or both? Yeah, usually um, marketing and HR get to take themselves out to lunch and talk about it, I guess, or something like that. It's typically marketing is writes the narratives. Um, and oftentimes they have that material hanging around, like, you know, program descriptions of benefits or like maybe they've profiled up and comers in the firm. So they've got some material to work with, but they do have to request that data from HR. And when we started this, oftentimes people had to pull EEOC data. So the categories are drawn from EEOC data and also drawn from the in the biennial census that the AF, the, I'm sorry, the AICPA does um, when they do an employee count um, and put out their biennial report. So if HR is already producing statistics for either an EEOC report or for the AICPA report, these uh, categories in the MOVE project should synchronize pretty well. And actually at at some larger firms that have, say, a chief culture officer or a DEI person on the HR team, a lot of times that person gets involved as well. But it's usually kind of a collaborative effort between HR and marketing. How do you guys um, decide who who gets interviewed or how how is that process done? Yeah, well... There's always a core interview with the person who's in charge of filling out the survey. And almost always that's an HR person. And so we want, if it's, if the firm is new to the process, we want to understand what the firm's philosophy is of advancing women. Like, how do you guys interpret the business case? Have there been starts and stops in the past that have either, you know, caused a lot of frustration or that you think, you know, have really been instructive in um, evolving and developing your strategy for advancing women? So we want that kind of grounding information. And then for firms that are ongoing participants, we always want to hear the next chapter in their stories. Well, you know, two years ago, you told us that you were going to um, assign associates to mentor interns. How is that working out? Did any of those interns end up being hired as new associates? You know, we, you know, we go back and look at those notes and the archives and try very hard to um, really make those interviews continuous and to understand the time, the arc of, of change at your firm. So 
when we hear about an innovative program, oftentimes we'll ask to speak with someone who has benefited or participated in the program. So for example, um, we had one firm a couple of years ago um, in the throes of COVID that suddenly just realized, oh shoot, we had just launched our, they had just launched a big women's initiative. And then all of a sudden they, they had a choice. Were they going to abandon it or were they going to try to make it in the midst of everything else go virtual? And they were, they were at a loss. Like, like we don't have enough to do, right. You know, this is by June, 2020. And they had just opened an office in Las Vegas and a young woman pretty, you know, just an associate there had been involved with the women's initiative. She was excited about it because being kind of stranded in this you know, very peripheral office. She didn't know very many other women in the firm. And she thought, well, this is my chance to really get to know other women. Even if this thing doesn't go very far, at least I'll frankly, you know, have a good cover for getting to talk, know some other women in the firm. So she stepped up and said that she would figure it out. And it turned out to be a massive career opportunity for her because in the process of translating the new women's initiative to a virtual platform, she became an in-house expert for doing similar platforms for clients and for some elements of business development and outreach. And it just was huge for her. So we wrote about that because it's a great example of how kind of was like a condensed timeline of how participating in a women's initiative actually equipped her with business skills way above what she normally would have expected to have gotten for her level and propelled her to greater responsibility and put her on the fast track to promotion. Yeah. I love hearing the stories that are kind of like that non-traditional path or something that just, you know, had a great idea and was like, I'm going to make this happen. I I love those stories. So oftentimes there are at least two interviews, oftentimes three or four, as we're kind of tracing through the people who are involved in a program to understand again, the, the results. Yes, we want to hear about the program. Yes, we want to hear about, you know, how it came about, but now what next? How is this playing out for women at your firm? And, and we put together and we'll send you the questions in advance. So that way, you know, whoever our main point of contact is at the firm can look at those questions and say, you know what, we I want so-and-so to be on this call because they're going to be able to talk about this particular area or this particular program at our firm a little bit better. So, you know, some of it is up to you as to who you want to have on that call and everybody can't be on the call at once, then can schedule a couple if needed. I don't have any questions. I, um, I've been doing the survey for a while, as you guys know, as but, know. Um, <laughs> and for that, we say thank you. Yes. <laughs> I've always enjoyed working with you. And I just popped on just to see, you know, if there was anything different. I know we had had that part where um, we did a much smaller version of it. So I didn't know if there was going to be something different this year, but it's always nice to see you guys and chat. Yeah, no, we're back to the full-fledged um, okay. version. Did a little bit of realigning some of the questions to kind mm-hmm. of reflect the hybrid and remote environment. But, you know, it's important to keep the demographic questions the same because otherwise you don't have annual benchmarks. So what, what are the next steps that you're looking for, for from us? Um, well, really, the first step would be to um, go to the website, read whatever you want to. I mean, if you have any other questions that come up, take a look at all the information. And then uh, there's a link to register for this year. And it just asks some basic questions. And I'll get that and put you in the system. And based on firm size, send an invoice and release the survey, you know, like say mid to late April, whenever it's ready. A little bit after that, somebody, either me, Joanne, or somebody on the team will reach out to you about scheduling an interview and moving forward. 
And if you have any other questions or anybody else on your team have questions or anything, feel free, just shoot me an email, pick up the phone, go to the website. There's all kinds of information that we're happy to share, but yeah, I'm happy to answer any questions that you have. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for listening to Move Like This, brought to you by the Accounting Move Project and sponsored by Moss Adams and Sapro. If you'd like to learn more, visit our website at accountingmoveproject.com. Don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends and colleagues too. I'm your host, Bonnie Buell-Russick, and until next time, keep moving forward.